once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. What do you treasure most? If you ask the people who know you best, what would they say you treasure most? And are you sure you want to hear the answer? Jeff Norris, Director of Young Adults and Families, starts the new series, A Glorious Grace, Generosity and Grace, with this message entitled, Treasuring Grace, which covers Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into where we're headed as far as content for today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your um, incredible grace. Thank you that you love us the way that you do. Lord, we have um, already spent some time this morning singing to you and of your greatness. We've seen and participated in the, in the holy sacrament of baptism and rejoiced. And so, Lord, now as we, uh, as we enter into your word, would you cause your word to pierce us, to convict us where we need to be convicted, to encourage us where we need to be encouraged, but most of all, would you use the truth of your scriptures through your Holy Spirit at work in us and in this room to give us eyes to see our deep need for Jesus and his great, satisfying nature joy that we have in Christ. So Lord, would you bless this time? We give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been in this series called A Glorious Grace. We started it back in the summer, and you may have noticed by now that we've done little sub-series under the umbrella of the larger series, A Glorious Grace. The first little series that we did was, um, uh, what do we call it? We called it Foundations of Grace walk through various foundations of grace. The next little sub-series that we did were designs of grace, different ways that grace can be expressed and how we experience grace in our own lives. Today we're starting a new sub-series that will carry us through the month of October and into November that we're calling Generosity and Grace. And we're doing this because we're moving up on a season where we'll enter into another multi-year all-in campaign and Towards the beginning of November, we'll make pledges to how the Lord may lead us to give financially to where God's leading this church. And and so we thought, do we pull out of the series of Glorious Grace and just do kind of a a generic series, if you will, on generosity? And then we say, you know, uh, let's not do that because generosity and grace are so closely linked that it fits perfectly. To be able to talk about generosity and who we are to be as a people, a generous people, and to not connect it to God's grace in our lives would be irresponsible. And so we are keeping it within the context of this greater series and calling it Generosity and Grace. And today I want to lead us off by thinking and considering this this thought of treasuring grace. Really, obviously we want to treasure Jesus and part of treasuring Jesus is to treasure his grace, but I really want to hone in on this word treasure. Let me ask you a question. How does your life point to what you most treasure? Certainly in what you say, but even more so in what you do, how you live. What does it point to what you treasure? I'll tell you a story. About a year ago, a little over a year ago, my youngest, my daughter Annie, she was four at the time, and 
I'm holding her, and we're having this sweet little family moment. Now, when you hear what I'm about to say, don't think, man, the Norrises are awesome. They, they do that stuff all the time, apparently. No, 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 this, this was not the norm, unfortunately. But we were having a sweet moment as a family, and we were going around and sharing with each other, you know, uh, you know I love Mom, and I love Dad, and I love Samuel, and I love Ellie Kate, and I love Abigail, and, and, you know, I love you to the moon and back, and all this, and just a sweet, tender moment. And so I lean into, I've got my daughter right here in my hands, and I lean into her ear, and I say, who do we love the most? And without hesitation, immediately, she goes, Alabama, roll tide. (laughs) And even though we're Alabama fans, I immediately thought, I have failed as a father. (laughs) Part of my flesh was like, that's right, sweetie. No, no, that's not right. It's got to be Jesus. It's Jesus. But it convicted me in the moment. I got to thinking about it. Oh, my goodness. So she hears me talk about Jesus a lot. She she sees me at church and whatnot. But but what my life has said to her is that what I treasure most is Alabama football. (laughs) This This is concerning. How would people answer the question? Maybe your own children. Maybe family members, friends, people who are close to you, people you work with. What's... What does he or she treasure the most? What we have to understand is that what we treasure, we love. And what we love, we trust. And what we trust determines where we invest. What we treasure, we love. What we love, we trust. And what we trust determines where we invest. Let me read this quote from John Piper that kind of orients us to where we're headed this morning. He says this. He says, we want to think and live and act and speak in such a way that we draw attention to the manifold perfections of God. And I think the way that we do that best is by being totally satisfied in those perfections ourselves. They mean more to us than money, more to us than fame, and more to us than sex or anything else that might compete for our affections. And when people see us valuing God that much and his glory being that satisfying, they see that he is our treasure. Remember what I just said. What we treasure, we love. What we love, we trust. What we trust determines where we invest. And when I talk about investing, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about everything about us that God has stewarded to us. Our talents, our gifts, our time, our resources that includes money. And what will happen, and this is, this is a scary thought for me, is as I think about this area of where am I investing those things? Where am I investing my time and my resources and my money and my, my gifts and all these things? Where am I investing these things? And then if you deductively logic back to what do I treasure, I may say as much as I want to say that I treasure Jesus, but as I work down that grid and I get to, but where am I investing? Then I realize that it doesn't matter what I say over here, where I'm investing says something very different. And where I'm investing points to what I treasure. And where my heart is. For many of us, if we're being honest, we treasure and we trust money and comfort and ease much more than we trust and treasure God and his kingdom and what he can provide. We talk about money because Jesus talked about it. 15% of what Jesus said that we have recorded for us in the Gospels was to dealing with this, this issue of of manna or mammon, 
I guess not manna, mammon, which is uh, money and possessions. And Jesus talked about it because he saw that the spiritual life cannot be separated from our money. Listen to what Randy Alcorn says in the book, The Treasure Principle. He says, there's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. We may try to divorce our faith and our finances, but God sees them as inseparable. So let's look at the text together. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. And this is a passage that if you've been in or around church for any length of time, if you've been here at Perimeter for any length of time, this is going to be a familiar passage. This is in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, which is the most famous sermon that Jesus gave in the Scriptures, where he's walking through a number of things. And in this particular part of the sermon that we're going to look at today, he speaks to the nature of what we treasure in our hearts. Look at verse 19. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where the thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. I've got three questions for us this morning that I want us to consider from this text. The first one is this. Where do your treasures lie? The nature, the, the, the language of the text is simply lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust do not destroy. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. So what we see in the text is that there's two options of where we can lay up our treasures in the language of the scriptures. Either on earth or in heaven. And what happens to us is we get so consumed with what's going on in the day in and the day out in in the world around us that it is just so easy. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. It's something, it's just so easy to be in a place where we get consumed with the here and now. Randy Alcorn in Treasure Principle, the book that I quoted a minute ago, he went on to say that the biggest deterrent for our giving is is our uh, belief that this earth is our home. Now, theologically, I understand what he's saying, that what we do know from Scripture is that in In essence, I'm splitting hairs here, but the earth is our home. The earth is not going anywhere. When Christ returns, he's going to usher in the new heavens and the new earth, and he will make all things new on this earth, and he will reign forever as king over all. But what Alcorn is saying is so poignant and so true is that we get so caught up in what we have before us and the daily activities around us, and where does this need to go and this, and what about my money here and this and wealth and possessions and what do do they have, that we get so consumed that we, without even realizing it, as well-meaning Christians as some of us are, as many of us are, we get caught up in laying up for ourselves treasures on earth. Let me illustrate it by telling you a little story. I grew up in a small town in North Alabama, in a small church. It was actually a big church for the town, but certainly in comparison to perimeter, very small. And there were a number of men in this church, a number of people in general, but particularly men who led me well in this church and who impacted me greatly. I think about my pastor, I think about my youth pastor, a number of men that just were in leadership in the church and certainly my own father. There was one man in particular, though, that was an unlikely candidate to have a big influence on me, and he has certainly had an impact on me. 
And it's odd because I can only recall one kind of semi-conversation that I even had with the man. His name was Buster Nix. Buster was known around town very well, but not for the reasons that you would want to be known. He was known around town because he was, he was severely disabled. He couldn't drive anywhere, and he would walk around town everywhere he had to go. Now, Buster in his younger years as an adult had been a very successful traveling magazine salesman door-to-door and had done very well, but early in his adult life, he lost both of his parents. He was an only child, so any family that he had was at a long distance away, and so he had no one. And not long after his parents passed away, he came down with a number of disabilities and even diseases, the most significant of which being Parkinson's disease. But there were many other things going on in Buster's body that were uh, more than likely just undiagnosed. Buster would walk around town. You always knew it was him because he, he always had one arm up as a part of his disability. He couldn't straighten it. always stayed close to his chest. And he would walk and drag his other leg and he would do this number. And he was always shaking very much and he was always drooling, and he would carry oftentimes a towel to try to catch the drool, but most of the times he, he missed. Here's the thing about Buster. Buster was always at our church. Always. No matter how far he had to walk, no matter where he had been, he would, he would always be there every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night for Wednesday night Bible study. And one of the things that I began to notice about Buster is that Buster loved Jesus. You, you, could, you couldn't understand him very well. He would try to talk with you, and because he couldn't move his mouth very well and because of the drooling and whatnot, it, it would just be kind of these moans and utterances, but, but he loved the Lord, and you could tell it. He would always ask, can, can I sing at church? And I'll never forget the morning that our youth, our, our uh, minister of music finally said, yes, you can sing. And Buster comes up on stage. And it's one of those things where everybody in the congregation, including myself, is just going, oh, I'm embarrassed for him. Your head's down. This is not going to be good. Oh. Buster walks up to the mic. Shaking as he was, drooling as he was, he begins to sing. And it was beautiful. And even though I was young in my faith at that time, and I was not very deep in my walk with the Lord, I could tell this man loves Jesus. My dad ministered to Buster and made a great impression on me. You know, dad certainly had a huge impact on me and what he told me, but parents remember this. I need to remember this, that oftentimes what your, what your kids pick up is not what you tell them, but what you show them. There were many Wednesday nights where I would watch my dad help Buster get to his Ford Explorer to my dad's Ford Explorer, and I would sit in the back seat as we helped Buster into the car and drove him home. Sometimes you knew Buster was around, not because of anything that he said, because of what he smelled like. He did not smell good. I can remember being in the back seat a number of times in my dad's car, just wanting to roll down the window just to get some fresh air. My, my dad loved this man, and he would take him to his house, and his house was just this little old shack. But it made an impression on me. I was in college and I get a phone call from my dad. We're catching up. And dad, in the midst of the conversation, says, hey, I thought you would like to know uh, Buster passed away. I said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. And he said, I went to his funeral and it was just four or five men there. You see, nobody noticed Buster and nobody really wanted to be around Buster. And when Buster died, nobody noticed but Buster loved Jesus. Now, let me compare that with just somebody that, that we would all know. Let me, let me just take Tom Brady, for example. 
Tom Brady is who I always wanted to be. I grew up loving sports. My yard, the, the house I grew up in was the only flat yard in the neighborhood, so all the kids came to my yard to play. And if you're going to play in my yard, then I get to be the quarterback. <laughs> and even though Tom Brady's my age, it wasn't Tom Brady that I looked to at that point in my life. It was guys like John Elway and Joe Montana and, and those guys, Dan Marino. But, but as I get older, I go, man, Tom Brady has everything that as a kid I thought this is it. This is the dream, right? You've got the fame and the fortune and the money and the good looks and the, uh, and the supermodel wife and all these things that the world would say, this is it. But listen to this. It was a, I would encourage you to look it up. There was an interview given on 60 Minutes with Tom Brady in 2004. He just won his second Super Bowl and he was a phenom. The world was going crazy over Tom Brady. And in the midst of the interview, he says, you know, all I can think is I've, I've gotten everything that I ever wanted and I just keep thinking, I can't stop thinking there's got to be more. The man interviewing him said, what do you think it is? What, what do you think the more is? And Tom Brady, direct quote, I wish I knew, I wish I knew. I don't know Tom Brady, obviously, but everything that I can see from an interview like that and from TV and just his interactions. He seems like a great, guy, a great guy, a cool dude, but it doesn't seem that he knows Jesus. And here's the reality. When Tom Brady passes away, there will be thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people at his funeral, and there will be millions worldwide that will grieve. But if something doesn't change in his heart, he will have a very different welcome than what Buster had. Buster went out of this world with little fanfare, four people, maybe five, but let me tell you, he was, he was entered into the presence of Jesus by a host of angels. Which one do we want? Certainly none of us go, give me Buster's life. It's not normal to ask for that. But when we look at those two scenarios, extremes as they are, we always gravitate to give me Tom Brady. Make me, oh God, like Tom Brady. Give me everything that he's got because then, then I will be satisfied. And according to Tom Brady, no, you won't. And the way of the kingdom of God is to look at a guy like Tom Brady, and even though, hey, we love him, we want to pray for him, we, we think it's great that he's done what he's done, although we don't like what he did last year in Atlanta. I'll leave that alone. But we all, the kingdom of God looks at that and he says, that's not what it's about. Jesus and his kingship and his kingdom is ushering in a new way, a new path about treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth, because that's passing away. And that's fleeting. But man, are we so quick to get wrapped up in it. And that leads me to my second question. For what does your heart long? What do you long for? You'll see in verses 21 through 23 this language about the eye. Where Jesus says this in verse 21. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. In Jewish literature, Jesus is a Jewish teacher, a rabbi. He's, he's speaking the language of his hearers. He knows that what they would understand is that in Jewish literature, the eye was very similar to the heart. And it makes sense to us today. What we allow ourselves to look at physically determines what we end up dwelling on, what we long for. Even metaphorically, the spiritual eyes of our heart, what is it that we're longing for? What is it that we want? most deeply we long for things to be different most of the time most of the time our posture is not one of where we're looking and orienting ourselves 
to Christ and his kingdom. And we're not saying things like, we're not asking the question of, uh, I want to consider Jesus and his calling on my life. And I want to ask the question continually, how can I live more like him? Instead, what we do is we get inundated and consumed with this horizontal comparisons all around us. And we look to those around us who have what we may not or seem to have what we may have not. And the question we ask is not how can I live more like him, but how can I live more like them? And we get trapped in this vicious cycle that is a detriment to our souls of where we're in this world of keep up with the Joneses and consumerism. And, and here's the reality is, as we look at this person and we compare and we say, they have what I don't and I want to live like them. And then that person is looking at somebody else going, they have what I don't and I want to live like them. And then that person is looking at someone else and saying, they have what I don't. I want to, and it's a never ending cycle and it will never satisfy no, 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 how much we have, it doesn't matter how little you have, possessions-wise or money-wise, or how much you have, possessions-wise or money-wise, it's never enough. Augustine, the great saint of the fourth century, said this famous line, and oh, is it true, that our hearts will be restless until they find their rest in God. Let's be honest. This church sits in Johns Creek, Georgia, we live in and around Johns Creek in the various areas, and this area of the world has got to be one of the toughest areas, I would think, to not get trapped in this, in this vicious cycle. This rat race that we tend to enter into, even as people who know Jesus, and we get so caught up in money and possessions. When you're alone and you're pondering and your thoughts are to yourself and you're daydreaming, what do you long for? Third question, who or what do you love? Who or what do you love? Look at verse 24 again. Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Does that last sentence kind of jump out at you is, is if I were an original listener to this, if I were there with Jesus, I would think it might be something like this, where it's like, okay, I'm listening to, to this incredible teacher, and he's talking about laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven and not on earth, and okay, I can, I can get that, I'm following with you, Jesus, and talking about the eye of the, the body and the heart and what I long for, okay, I'm with you, and then you can't serve two masters, well, yeah, that makes sense, because you'll be half devoted to each, and, and, uh, and then all of a sudden, out of seemingly nowhere, although it is a part of the train of thought, he says, you cannot serve God and money, and you kind of go, oh, we're, we're talking about money here. Because the heart is so connected to money and the money is so connected to heart, Jesus is weaving these two things together. What we treasure is what we love and what we love is what we'll trust and what we trust is where we'll invest. Listen to what James K.A. Smith writes in his book, You Are What You Love. I love this. By the way, this is one of uh, the best books I've read in a while. If you... Um, if you're looking for a good book to read, his, his book is phenomenal. It says this, a little lengthy, so stay with me, but so good. He says, Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our, our very loves. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He is after nothing less than your wants, your loves, your longings. His teaching doesn't just touch the calm, cool, collective space of reflection and contemplation. He is a teacher who invades the heated, passionate regions of the heart. 
He is the word who penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. He judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, Hebrews 4.12. To follow Jesus is to become a student of the rabbi who teaches us how to love. To be a disciple of Jesus is to enroll in the school of charity. I love that. To be a disciple of Jesus, to know of his grace, is to be a people who extend that same grace, to be a people of charity. He goes on to say one, one more shorter quote. He says this, to be human is to have a heart. You can't not love. So the question isn't whether you will love something is ultimate. The question is what you will love is ultimate. And you are what you love. Interesting thoughts. How we can get so caught up in what we think we need based on what we truly love. I tell, I tell this, I have told this story a number of times. I've only been here two years and I'll start the story and some of y'all will go, he's telling that story again? And I tell this one often just because it was, uh, it was significant in my life as going about just daily routine and activity that, uh, that in the midst of an interaction with my son, God spoke. And I don't mean like voice in the clouds, Jeff, you know, like, but I just mean like he, in the moment, in my spirit, I just, it was so crisp and clear what he was saying to me. So uh, many years ago, probably over a decade ago, if not maybe a little longer, I'm with Samuel, my son, and, and uh, we're, it's bedtime, and I'm reading him the Jesus Storybook Bible, which I keep plugging books. I'll plug you another one. If, you, if you're a young parent or a grandparent of young ones, uh, make sure you have the Jesus Storybook Bible. It is fantastic in uh, pressing the gospel into our children's hearts. But we had, it's kind of our routine that we would read that on a consistent basis at bedtime, and and uh, so we were to the story in the New Testament that comes out of Matthew um, chapter 13, verses 44 and 30, uh, 46, where Jesus is telling these short little parables on the kingdom. And he tells this first one, it's just one little verse, where he says that the kingdom of God is like a treasure buried in the field. And a man walks, uh, walking through the field, stumbles upon the treasure. And upon finding the treasure... He immediately goes and sells all that he has so that he can buy the field and possess the treasure and have the treasure. Now, as we're reading this story, I'm, I'm trying to get my son to understand that, hey, buddy, it's, I know you're probably thinking treasure like gold, like pirate booty, like, you know, like jewelry, all this kind of thing. It's not that. It's, it's Jesus. Jesus is the treasure. He's the one whom when we find him, when our eyes are open to him, when God stirs in us and opens our eyes to see the beauty of Jesus, we are so captivated by him and his worth and his value and the, and the treasure that he is that the right response, the only response, is instinctively to go and sell all that we have. Spiritually speaking, we give up treasures of this world. We say, I'm no longer a part of the kingdom of this world. I'm part of the kingdom of Christ because he's my treasure now. And so I'm going into this sermonette with my four-year-old. And as I'm talking, his eyes are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and the bigger his eyes get, the more his mouth opens and drops. And I'm going, he's captivated by what I'm saying. <laughs> he is so tracking with me. This is amazing. And then when I get through with my little sermonette, he goes, Dad, you know what I treasure? I'm looking at my watch, marking the date. All right, so Samuel's coming to Christian on October 1st, 2004. I'm like, this is the moment. He's going to say, Jesus, it's going to be crazy. I'm going to run to my wife and say, Samuel, he's, just, he's getting it. Oh, it's great. And, and this is what happens. 
He says, Dad, do you know what I treasure? I said, what, buddy? A big truck. <laughs> and then again, I go inwardly, no. No, 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 it's Jesus. You're supposed to say Jesus. And then in the midst of that, that's when I hear the Spirit of the Lord in my, in my spirit say, hey, you too, buddy. And I look back at Samuel and I say, Samuel, me too. He's like, you, you treasure a big truck too? No, 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 no. He's talking about a little, you know, a Tonka truck that he, that he wants. But isn't that true? And here was the reality of what was going on in Samuel's mind because this is what happens in our minds and hearts all the time. And he was just the, the, the one that was showing me this. But this is what the reality was. Dad's giving this great sermonette, right? This, this incredible, like, Jesus is the treasure sermon to my four-year-old. And what he's hearing is, Jesus, yeah, yeah, I've heard this, Dad. You've talked, wah, 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 wah. Okay, yeah, Jesus, treasure, get it. Hey, you know what I really want? You know what I really want? Is that not what we do all the time? Especially for those of us that have been in or around church for a long time, been in this Christianity circles, we, we go, you, you hear a guy like me talk about Jesus or a friend talk about Jesus or a parent talk about Jesus and you go, oh, yeah, I, I get Jesus treasure, got it. You know what I really want? What we treasure, we love. What we love, we trust. What we trust determines where we invest. I want to give you one walk away application one thing to to think on as you go from here and it's just simply this gospel reflection is critical to lifestyle generosity and i would just throw the word in the beginning of daily gospel reflection is critical to lifestyle generosity because here's the here's the nature of our hearts the nature of our hearts is to do what we sang earlier prone to wonder lord i feel it prone to leave the god i love and throughout the course of a day, we are going to be in that wandering in and out where our hearts are so quickly distracted by something else. We are so quickly saying, yes, Jesus, I know you're the treasure, but you know what I really want. And what we have to be able to do through the power of the Spirit within us is to continually throughout the day go back to the gospel of grace. Recenter ourselves, reorient ourselves through prayer. And through thought of, of God, help me think and focus on the cross of what's true of me. And because here's where that thought leads. Is it leads us back to just the simple gospel of grace. Oftentimes in Christianity, we, we say, okay, I get that I'm saved by grace. Now give me something more. Give me something deeper. Give me something that's so theologically challenging that I just need to camp out there for a while. And certainly those are important conversations to have. And we do that from time to time. But listen... We oftentimes dismiss and forget the gospel of grace when it is the very fuel for our ability to walk with God and be enamored with him on a daily basis. That we go back to the cross over and over and over again daily and we remind ourselves, what was true of me before I knew Jesus? If you're a Christian, what was true of me before Christ saved me? Well, the scriptures tell me this, is that he created me in glory. To share with him in all the glory that he has. With no sin. With no sadness. With no disease. With nothing. Just complete perfect unity with him. And, and my choice. Yeah it was Adam and Eve. But we share with them in this. It's, we brought sin into the world. Because the nature of our hearts was to say this. You're glorious. You're great. But I know better. 
And I want my glory. And so what we have done over the course of our lives, apart from Christ, is we have done in every way through the attitude and the nature of our heart and even our actions and our words and certainly our willful disobedience against God is we have said to him, essentially, I spit in your face. I don't want you. And even though we, we run headlong away from him, he chases us. And even though we, with our attitude of our hearts and with the, the willful disobedience of our minds, we have said to him, I hate you, he says, but I will love you. And I will change your heart even though you don't want it. God is a God of un- unimaginable, unthinkable, immeasurable grace. And then we consider that Jesus... Out of nothing that we warranted, but only because of his love and mercy towards us, he comes and he takes on what we should get. He lives a perfect life in our place, achieving the standard that we couldn't live. And then he goes to the cross, the only man who ever walked the face of the earth that didn't deserve the wrath of God for sin, the only one, yet he takes the full wrath of God for us. And then... And then the penalty of sin itself, itself, death and hell on our heads, he takes and he says, put it on my head. And he defeats hell and death for us. So that through faith in him, through trust in him, we too will have victory over death. Now what I just gave you, what I just gave you was a simple presentation of the gospel. And if you'll allow me to press for just a moment, you know what really, you know what really stinks? Many of us just heard that simple presentation. And in here, our response was, wah, 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 yeah, got it, Jesus, treasure, grace, yeah. You know what I really want? We will not become a people of generosity until we are captivated with a God of generosity. When our eyes are so fixated and reminded on the grace that is ours through Christ, we become a people through his grace at work within us, his glorious grace at work within us, to where we give in the same way that he gave. Remember John 3.16? For God so loved the world, he gave. May we be a church who gives in every facet, in every way, with all of our talents, with all of our resources, that we are consistently giving to those around us and giving back to God, not because we have to, not because it's obligatory, not because the scriptures say that we should, but because we say, this is what Jesus has done with me. This is his grace at work in my life. How can I not be full of grace and generosity towards others, towards his church, towards God himself. It's a worshipful response to a glorious, unthinkable, unimaginable, immeasurable grace. And it's beautiful. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this time. Thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you that you... For those of us who know you and walk with you, that that you rescued us from our sin, 
that you did indeed transfer us from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of your glorious light. Father, we we pray and ask that you would make us a people who are so captivated with your grace, so amazed with the generosity of our God towards us, that our hearts would beat for what your heart beats for, and that it would be reflected in where we invest. God, make us a people who, who are that way. Make us a church who gives generally, generously because of Christ and his work in us. Father, I think about the, the person or people who may have just kind of wound up in church this morning. They're just in this room, not real sure how they got here, maybe the first time ever, and they're hearing something that um, perhaps they've never heard before. And it's resonating deep in their soul because they, they know deep down, I've tried everything. I've, I've tried the kingdom of this earth. I've, I've laid up treasures on earth and it, it never satisfied me. And you in this very moment, through the words of your scripture and just in the service as a whole, you're pointing them to Jesus as our all-satisfying joy. And Lord, I think about those who have been in church for a really long time. And even though they know you and I know you, we... We've forgotten of your sweet, tender grace, and you in this moment are pointing us to Jesus as our all-satisfying joy. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.